My name is Abigail Harrison. I'm also known online as Astronaut Abby, and I beat the often path by chasing after a truly out-of-this-world dream to someday become an astronaut and hopefully the first person to walk on Mars. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Now, on this show, we seek to radically expand our concept of what it means to live life to the fullest, and the goal is to help us all redefine what success is in our own lives. My guest today will surely accomplish this task as she's one of the most remarkable people you're likely to meet. Abigail Harrison is known as Astronaut Abby, and she set a huge goal at a very young age to be the first person ever to set foot on Mars. She's appeared on TED and she's done some amazing things. Her path has led her to becoming a major advocate for STEM and particularly STEM education for girls and marginalized groups, people historically left out of the space conversation. I could spend a very long time singing her praises, but instead, we'll get right into the episode. So here's Abigail Harrison, founder of The Mars Generation. Most people dream so small, and I know you've written a book about this, which we can touch on later, but most people, their dream is, I'm going to make $10,000 this month, or just very boring dreams, useful though they may be. There's not a lot of meat on that bone. I love the idea of having a truly, truly, truly massive goal, which is kind of what you're all about. So maybe tell our audience, what is it exactly that's your mission and how did you end up where you are? I know you've been on this for many years now. So give us the introduction to you and your path and what you're all about. Yeah, so it's been a couple of decades now that I've been chasing after the stream, which is such a weird thing to be able to say now, but I'm 24 years old. And I first remember wanting to become an astronaut when I was probably around four or five years old. So I can now officially say it's been a couple decades. Um, I'd like to jump in here real quick, though, and say not many people can say a couple decades about anything at the age of 24. So that's already (laughs) fascinating. I hadn't done anything for a couple decades when I was 24. (laughs) Well, you've been been breathing for a couple decades. That's true, yes. Definitely mark that one up. I had been uh, breathing. Technically alive. Check. (laughs) And that's still uh, oh, my Instagram yeah. bio. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good Twitter bio as well. I'm that's here, very, like, I think. Very cool. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm human. Go on. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so it's been a couple decades that I've been working towards this. And at the beginning, that was my my big dream. And my, my guiding star was to be an astronaut and to someday walk on the surface of Mars. Along the way, though, I was really fortunate to have discovered another dream and another life passion, which is pretty lucky because a lot of people don't find these life passions ever, but especially not at such a young age. But for me, that secondary passion was science education advocacy, and especially working to increase representation and diversity within science and to make a world where every young person is able to see themselves achieving really big things. And so to do that, I actually founded a nonprofit called the Mars Generation, which has now been active for six years and does a ton of stuff. But um, some of the stuff that we do, we have a student leadership development program. We have a student scholarship program where we provide funds for students without financial resources to attend hands-on science and STEM um, experiences. We create a ton of digital content to try and access and reach the public more. Just, you know, all of these things. If you let me, I would... Um, I would absolutely spend the next hour straight just blabbing about the Mars generation because it is truly my greatest accomplishment and something I'm very proud of. 
Well, that's what we're here for. Although I disagree about <laughs> the importance of science or technology or any of that, because it is widely understood that every child needs to become an inf Instagram influencer. That's the key to human survival. <laughs> I've been talking to Gen Z. I know how it's it so works. It's so funny that you would mention that, though. We because... all need to be influencers, and then all of the problems will be solved. That's all I know. Exactly. Right? And we all need to be carbon copies of exactly. each other on Instagram as yes. well. Like we have to be exactly the same. And then yes. uh, it's really funny that you would mention that though, because I actually run a set of social media channels called Astronaut Abbey, where I've seen I share and my it's, journey. It's massive, by the way. <laughs> it's gigantic. Yeah, I've got about a million, million people in my community so far, which is, so I guess you could put me in the that's true. I guess there's some Instagram irony in that quite unintended irony. A little bit different from But others. it's different. Yeah, you have a mission behind it. It's not just here's a picture of me eating a pumpkin pie. There's a exactly. little bit more to it. Yeah. And one of the things that's really cool and powerful about that actually is that um, having this social media has not only allowed me to create this huge community where I'm increasing representation of women in STEM, but it's also allowed me to fund the Mars Generation, the nonprofit. Um, a, a large portion of our funding actually comes from um, engagement work that I do, either speaking at conferences and then you know I donate 100% of the honorariums to the Mars Generation or the sales from my book or occasionally Instagram partnerships with brands that I, I believe in. 100% of everything I've ever made through that social media side of things and everything has gone to the Mars generation, which is like kind of a, an interesting, exciting thing to mention, because I don't think when you look at a lot of influencers online, I don't think that most of them are, and there's nothing wrong with what they're doing, how they do it, but most of them aren't taking that, that money and then putting it back into the community immediately. And so I think it's really an, uh, kind of a cool system that we've got set up here. You're right. Yeah. Not many people take that leap between what they're doing on social media and actual change in the real world. And that's kind of why I created this show, was to focus people a bit on the real world and actual problems. And I think what you said earlier about your career, your ideas changing gears, I mean, a lot of, who hasn't had that? You're five years old, you're four years old, you think you want to be a fireman or whatever, and then later the real world hits you and things change and who knows what's going to happen. And a lot of people don't find something else. You're right that they don't find a greater mission and they stumble. And that's certainly been true of me. I've gone through many different uh, career ideas or paths in my life. And that's why I have such a fascination with people who have taken unusual paths or who have found themselves in a different kind of way. So it's, it's right up my alley. Um, so talk to me about the desire to be the first person. Let's start at the beginning before we switch. The first person to walk on Mars. Is that something that you would still like to do? Yes, absolutely. So even though I've discovered this second passion and goal for um, education, activism and, and science, um, my primary goal, and sometimes I call it my selfish goal, is um, to become an astronaut and to walk on the surface of Mars. That is my, uh, my current career trajectory that I'm working towards. Um, and it's something that it's just so exciting to be alive during a time when that's like a real actual goal that, actually that you possible. can have. Isn't that insane? Like it's, it's, insane. it's an amazing time to be alive. It is an amazing time. Now, I have so much respect for astronauts. I personally would be so terrified of doing it. I love space. I've always been deeply fascinated with the questions of our universe and our place within it. It's the kind of thing I've been thinking about my whole life. But the idea of actually getting into a rocket ship and that thing going off and looking out of a window back at Earth 
is so terrifying. Are you scared of that at all? Uh, so I would say yes, a little bit. I think that it would be unrealistic for anyone to say that that's not scary. Space is a really inhospitable environment. It's one of the most difficult environments for humans to live and work in. Just being there, let alone the actual trip from Earth to space, is also incredibly dangerous and holds a lot of risk. So I, I think that um, it would be odd for anyone to say that they're not a little bit concerned or, or have a little bit of healthy fear around that. But the way I've always looked at life is that fear can't hold you back from doing something. I have 100% throughout my entire life been a person who looks at fear and says, how can I take this emotion and how can I honor it, but then also use it in a positive way? How can I turn it into something that will drive me instead? Um, and I'm also pretty lucky to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. And so when it comes to things that are scary, I'm able to pretty easily take that emotion and try and you know swap it for excitement or something like that instead. Um, yeah. Well, what is it that you hope to find or what is it that you would hope to get out of doing that? Out of uh, sending humans to out Mars, of, you mean? Yeah, or personally going to Mars. What do you expect would come of that? Let's say tomorrow you're you're doing it. What's the end result? I, yeah, what's what's the reason? What's the end result behind all of this? It's it's a great question. Um, there Again, it's one of these topics that I'll, I'll do my best to keep it short, but if I don't filter myself in any way, I, I'd have you here for the next four hours talking about how important <laughs> Mars is in human space exploration. But the short version is that in order to really benefit from space exploration, we have to constantly be pushing the boundaries of what it is that we're capable of doing. It's not enough to simply have humans in space in Earth's orbit, to be doing something that we've already done and that we, we know how to do. We have to be putting ourselves in these really difficult, really uncomfortable situations and then saying, how are we gonna get out of this? How are we gonna make this impossible situation possible? And when we do that, we then start to see heaps and heaps and uh, oodles of benefits that come back to us here on Earth. Technological advances that we wouldn't have otherwise had, inspiration in the community and entire generations of people that are galvanized to go out and to make big differences in the world, um, return on investment that helps to drive the economy and to provide jobs here on Earth, all of those things. So those are obviously all really positive things and things that if we want to address some of the serious issues that the next generation will be facing, we need to be, you know, doing uh, doing all of that, in inspiring the community, creating technological advances, all of these things. And so I look at it and I say, we have uh, we have a problem and we have a solution. We might as well go ahead and act on that solution of trying to accomplish this next big step in space exploration with the understanding that that will also then improve our ability to live as stewards here on Earth. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, such that's a great, the short version. No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> a great answer. And I completely agree. And I completely understand. I mean, it's if you go down the rabbit hole of these things, I think one of the first Wikipedia rabbit holes ever went down in the early days was just clicking uh, the probability of there being life on other planets. And if you click through all of that, you get to these things like what are the different categories of civilizations, like category one civilization. You know, We're able to use all of the uh, energy available on our own planet. And in theory, if you go beyond that, you're able to use all of the energy available from your nearest star. And if you go beyond that, all of the solar system and things like that. And that got, I just kept clicking and thinking like, what would it mean if there was a civilization out there that was harnessing all of the available energy from its nearest star? Would we even be able to see that? And then you start conceptualizing, 
what if there are solar panels in a 360-degree sphere around a star? Right. Would you even see that star anymore? Or would it be completely blacked out from the outside world? So I love pondering these kinds of ideas, and I always have. Um, and I think it's so fabulous, people who are able to look at the bigger picture. And um, when did you first get the spark? Was it going to a planetarium at a young age? You saw a planetarium, you thought, oh my goodness, this is everything. Or So uh, I wish that I, whenever I get asked this question, I always wish that I had a more compelling story, I guess, a better answer, because the truth of the matter is that I didn't have very much exposure to space exploration when I was growing up. I grew up in Minnesota, which being a very Midwest landlocked state, there wasn't a whole lot of um, space exploration. It's not like I could just pop over to the coast to watch a launch or to visit a space center or to go to a planetarium or anything like that. And so for me, my initial exposure and where this dream really originated from was actually just standing outside one night on my family's back porch, looking up at the stars and um, having all of these huge questions that were going through, at least at the time they seemed huge. I was like five years old. So I look back and I'm probably like, they weren't that big. But the way I remember it is that my brain was just so full of these questions about everything in our universe. Once I started thinking about what the stars were, I started going down all these different avenues of questions. And I realized that I wanted to be a part of finding those answers and, and discovering the parts of our, our existence that haven't yet been discovered. So going farther than just Earth and exploring some of these far reaches of where humanity is able to go. Um, so that was the, that's the kind of like, very modest, boring version of how my dream started. Um, but one other piece that I always like to mention is that I was really lucky that when I was a teenager, I did get a lot of exposure then to space exploration. And I think that was super important because especially for girls and, and young women, you're more likely to drop out of science and STEM fields at, uh, during your teenage years than at any other time in your life. And I ended up happening across a lot of experiences that really helped to keep me engaged and motivated and to see a future career path in in this really challenging and daunting industry that helped yeah. me to hold on to that. Um, things like meeting an astronaut who then offered to be my mentor and who I got yeah. to work with uh, a couple years later on a project together. Things like going to space camp on a scholarship when I was 13 years old, like those types of things that really just helped me to envision what the future could look like for me within the space industry. That's such a, a fabulous story. And what I love and something that you've done that a lot of people don't have the guts to do, speaking of leaning into fear, repurposing your fear, you stated publicly that you have this goal. A lot of people are terrified to do that, even on a small scale, because there's the thought of if I don't reach that goal, then I'll be humiliated or whatever, right? Um, but you have always stated, to my knowledge, this is something that I want to do from the time you were a very small child and contrary to people shutting you down it seems like you've been you were embraced by the scientific community by the space community how did that go in the early days from you saying this is something i want to do how did you start getting people around you to take you seriously and to start thinking along with you it's a great question because it is it's a reasonable fear that a lot of people have you're completely correct when you when you talk about the fact that people with dreams oftentimes don't talk about them because they're afraid of either failing or being ridiculed or being judged or anything like that. 
And for me, I was really lucky because I, I started this dream at such a young age that I didn't have any of those concerns about what anyone else was thinking about right. my dream because I was just a kid and I was out there nonstop talking about wanting to be an astronaut, wanting to go to Mars. And I think that that really gave me a lot of practice about being confident and, you know, having this um, this gusto for, for this dream. And I got to practice talking about it a lot. Um, the first person whose opinion I really switched around was actually my mom. I was raised by a single mom who was a teacher in Minnesota and um, for a her, long by the time. Way. I know, right? Seriously. Single mom she's and like, a teacher. That's a clapable yeah, moment. She's a superwoman. Even now, she just blows me away nonstop with like her that's awesome everything she does um <laughs> but so when I was growing up she didn't always believe or listen to me because I was just a kid who was you know six seven eight years old saying they wanted to be an astronaut anytime you hear a kid talking like that you think oh it's the same as a kid saying they want to be a princess or a, right. a firefighter or yeah, saying sure. they're back be a of pro. the line yeah exactly like it's really easy right. to look at that and just not think anything of it. But the difference for me was that I didn't stop talking about it. I didn't grow out of it. And when I was about 11 years old, my mom finally listened. She was like, Oh my God, it's been, she's been talking about this for like eight years. Like I gotta, gotta do something about it. <laughs> and so she sat down with me. And um, when she tells this story, she likes to call it the come to Jesus talk, which was right. essentially, <laughs> she sat down and she was like, all right, Abby, I know you want to do this as a dream. And she basically did everything she could to, to essentially discourage me from chasing after this. She as brought out all does. the numbers as, as a supportive parent right. does. Sure? No, but it's funny because like she was telling me how unlikely it would be and how difficult it would be in all these numbers and stuff. Right. And that sounds like such a negative, terrible thing for a parent to do. But the reality was that it was actually the best thing that she could have done for me because I left that conversation feeling incredibly motivated. And I went and I, I did some research and I came back to her the next day and I printed out, you know, I'm just 11 years old. I printed out two different pieces of paper with different avenues or paths that I could take. I could go into the military and I could attempt to do X, Y, and Z to then become an astronaut, or I could be a civilian and become a scientist and a pilot and do all of these things. And when I handed my mom these two plans for the future, that's when she looked at me and she said, wow, you're you're really serious about this and you're chasing after it and ever since then she has been a hundred percent on board has been my you know my biggest supporter and that's that's the same um perspective I guess I've taken with anyone who's had doubt in my dreams is this uh understanding of it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks about it eventually eventually if you just hold on to your dream and keep talking about it keep being loud and proud about what it is that you're doing the people who matter will realize and will listen and will essentially join your team if you've been a long time listener of the show you'll know that this is the part of the show where i basically beg you to rate the show five stars to leave a nice comment on either spotify or on apple Podcasts. but today we're not going to do that what i'm going to do instead is to say that if you're intrigued by Abigail's mission, go to her website, themarsgeneration.org, and support her cause because that's much more important than this stupid little podcast anyways. So go support her, support her work. I'm just going to pitch it right now and pitch it hard. So go do that and then, you know, come back to the rest of the episode right now. That's, that's so wonderful. And your story reminds me of 
a quote, an Instagrammable quote that I've always taken issue with, which is, uh, shoot for the moon, and even if you fail, you'll land amongst the stars. And I remember hearing them like, no, no, that's not how that works. The stars are considerably farther away than the moon. That sounds good, but (laughs) there is a kernel of truth to the concept behind it. You know, in having this, what they call the big, hairy, audacious goal, as they say, you did rally people around you that were able to help open your eyes to some of the truths and to other things, things that you might have never thought of before, which is which is great. And then you stumble upon a community and you realize, hey, there's a bigger thing here that I want to be an advocate for. Now, one of the things that I think anybody who is interested in intellectual pursuits or who cares about these kinds of things, obviously in this country, there's a very big string of anti-intellectualism or what's the point? People don't tend to care much in my experience about things like space exploration or science. I'm sure that that is a battle that you're up against every day, and especially for girls or marginalized people. Um, How do you get people to care about these issues? What kind of pushback have you gotten? Yeah, it's, it's such, I mean, honestly, that's the big question. It's the big question that everyone is trying to figure out, especially within science and STEM fields. Every scientist I know, that's what they're constantly asking is, how do I get people to care more about what it is that I'm doing and to realize also how important it is. Um, For me, one of the things that I've discovered to be, and this isn't the full answer to the question because it's such a big problem that I don't think there is like one golden answer. Right. But something that I found to be really helpful and the way that I try to go about this is by meeting people where they're at. So we have to have compassionate, empathetic science communication instead of judgmental science communication. We can't look at a population of people and blame them for not understanding science or not trusting science or not knowing certain things. We have to instead look at them and say, hey, that's okay. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna gonna figure it out together. We're gonna learn about this together. We're gonna spend time covering all of these basics that we can then talk about the the bigger picture and, and such. Um, And I think another part of that that's always been really important to me with this whole idea of meeting people where they're at instead of expecting people to come to you as a scientist is that we also have to meet people where they are, like, um, I guess, physically as well. We can't just say you have to come to school and or you have to go read a book or you have to do X, Y and Z. Instead, we should be saying, where is the general public already spending time? How can I get there? And then how can I, you know, kind of infiltrate into their subconscious, I guess, which is a lot of what I do with social media is I look at it and I say, how is it that I can, instead of bashing people on the head with a physics textbook, I can instead create engaging physics content on Instagram or engaging astronomy content on Twitter or something like that and kind of like make it a more comfortable and natural way for people and especially people within, you know, millennials, Gen Zs, Gen Xs, all these people to to learn about it in a way that doesn't really feel like learning. Yep, that makes that makes perfect sense. And in your experience, um, where did you get the idea? Okay, so you've you've started educating people. What kind of stuff have you done that's been the most effective along those lines? Have you figured out some? Like you said short videos, or what's really gotten people engaged and interested in your mission? So the most effective piece that I found has definitely been utilizing social media in a a kind of organic way. Like instead of trying to ever force anything, I've really tried to look at 
what is the way that I can be the most honest with my community and really give them something that's engaging? And um, one of the things that I realized early on that was really engaging and, and that served a great purpose was this idea of sharing my entire journey of aspiring to be an astronaut from start to finish with people. Um, I found that to be such a such a, a great way to talk about science and to talk about STEM in an approachable manner for a lot of people, because it's literally me learning about these things on a day-to-day basis, making mistakes, but then also having successes, falling down, but then also getting to share, you know, getting to share the negatives and the positives of this journey. Um, that's been one of the most successful pieces for me yeah. is getting to just share the entire uh, process. And I think that's especially intriguing because it kind of talk, it, it harks back to what we talked about earlier, which is that idea of um, uh, essentially this idea of like the messy middle, the fact that we oftentimes don't show the struggle or we don't show, we don't like to talk about big dreams because we might fail at doing them. But instead I'm over here on social media talking about these huge dreams and then sharing the different steps along the way in real time to allow people to then look at that and say, well, even if I'm not trying to become an astronaut, what if I was able to achieve my big dream as well? What if I was able to, you know, take steps in my life to go after that too. And so that's been really um, a, a big part for me. It's especially become important over the last two years as we've all had to have our lives and our worlds and the way that we interact and socialize change so much. Mm-hmm. It's not a necessarily a positive thing, but I am the kind of person who likes to look for the optimism in something. And so in that I sense, that. these last two years, being able to create digital content to connect people with science has actually been even more beneficial than it was before the pandemic. And so yeah. there's there's pros and cons, but it's the world we live in. Sure. Well, you mentioned 11-year-old you having to having two plans, either go through the military or go through the academia pilot route. What road did you end up choosing? Do you um, have a degree in a science field or where did you go? Yes, absolutely. I, I did end up going down what I dubbed the civilian route. So instead civilian. of going into the military, yeah. I continued on, um, on, on my own. And I currently have a degree in biology. Um, and just finished up the process of applying to graduate school. So fingers Ooh, crossed. In a okay. couple, oh, right, right. I, this, you're waiting for envelopes. <laughs> oh, you're going to have tons of exactly. envelopes coming your way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, anxiously checking my email multiple times a day. That's the process, right the now, stage of the process oh, that we're at. Oh, man. That's it's going to be a couple months until I hear probably okay. a month or so. But even so, it's like every time I open my email, I'm like, hopefully it's, uh, <laughs> but so that's, kind of the route that I've taken some additional things that I've done so far um, to, to try and create this resume that will be really appealing when I apply to the astronaut program uh, are that I'm also a licensed pilot and I'm currently working on my instrument rating, which is the next step that a pilot can take. I'm an advanced uh, scuba diver and a rescue diver. So I do a lot of scuba diving. Um, I have studied Russian and Mandarin Chinese to hopefully be able to participate in international collaborative missions in the future. Um, I am a skydiver and a marathon runner. I'm uh, currently getting my EMT license just in case there's any medical medical emergencies in space. And I have a whole list of other things that I'm planning to do in the future to try kind of like extracurriculars. You, you could consider them sure. to try and build this resume that will hopefully be competitive. 
Well, you know, I'm not an expert, but I think you probably wouldn't be very interesting because what they're looking for is a lot of initiative. <laughs> they're looking for initiative. They're looking for breadth and depth of extracurricular activities. You know, uh, yeah, I don't think I have Russian. a good shot. I, I know. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's going to be crickets. Don't quote me on that, but I don't think. Yeah. You know, do you have a fallback? Fallback. <laughs> like, <laughs> What's my third you know, plan? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's retail. There's a lot of retail <laughs> jobs right now. Uh, just, you know, no, I, I think. Hey, it's all, there's plenty of market for, for that need currently. That's you true. and my sister, I have an older sister who's two years older than me and YouTube would uh, really enjoy spending time together because yeah. she's the other person in my life who always likes to take me down a peg or two and um, give well, me a hard time for <laughs> I am being entirely sarcastic because any school worth anything would be clamoring. They should be fighting over you, I'm sure. Oh. And and I know they will be. So but I also know Thank how you. stressful and unfun this process is. But you'll be just fine. But we'll circle back to that in a few months. <laughs> I'll reach exactly. out. Exactly. We'll have to have out. a celebratory. Yeah. <laughs> I I have no doubt. If you're listening, recruiters out there, you know what to do. Um fast track. Exactly. Fast track. Uh, so you took this step and you created this thing called the Mars Generation, which you can talk about for hours and hours, which is great. Um, what is the Mars Generation? <laughs> so the Mars Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit that focuses on a couple of things. One of our main focuses is exposing the public to science and to space. And then our second big initiative is to provide concrete um uh, realistic opportunities and resources for young people today to become the change makers of tomorrow. Um, it's really a passion project that, like I said, I started uh, about six years ago and it has blossomed into this huge web of different things that we do in ways that we impact people. Um, but it, it really started, it has an a little bit of an interesting um, origin story, you could say. Uh, because the Mars Generation was founded out of a program that I did when I was younger. When I was 16 years old, I was invited by an astronaut who had been mentoring me to come watch his launch to the International Space Station from Baikonur, Kazakhstan. And I realized during that, when I got that invitation, that this was an opportunity to do something bigger, to make a bigger impact. Instead of just me going and watching this launch and being like, oh, wow, wasn't that so cool? No, I decided that this was an opportunity to create, um, to take something that previously had been a very privileged experience to get to go to Baikonur and watch one of these launches. It's not a thing that a lot of people get to do. And I wanted to kind of de I was just there that. last Saturday. As one does, right? Sometimes when I'm bored, yeah, I just yeah, just, just pop over there to, yeah. to watch a launch out of yeah. Me, me and uh, Barry Barack Obama, you know, as I like to call him Barry, yeah, you just popped out. Anyways, go on. Yeah, you did it too. Oh, that's okay, so great. Because I was just having tea with Michelle the other day, and she didn't mention anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of us is full of shit. <laughs> that's the difference. Uh, yeah. So you. Oh no! Yeah, I'm also I'm also being this launch. <laughs> But so I, I took this and I talked to Luca, the astronaut who had invited me about it. And we decided to create something that had never been done before, which is that I would be working for six months, his time on the International Space Station, as his Earth liaison. So taking his experiences in space and translating them to community here on Earth and especially making an effort to reach demographics that I was more naturally inclined to communicate with, which are young people, 
and girls and women. And so I spent six months just doing all kinds of interactive stuff, trying to engage people more with the International Space Station and the Luca. I was speaking in classrooms constantly. I was running a lot of digital programs to teach people how to find the space station, how to photograph it, do all these different things, you know, stuff like that. And when those six months ended, I decided that I wanted to continue to do all of this educational outreach work. And so I continued for a couple of years. And then when I was 18 years old, I was headed off to college. And with the, um, with the support and advice from some people around me, some, some what I like to call real adults, people who knew a little bit more than I did at the time, um, they said, you know, you should really turn this work that you've been doing into something more official. You should turn it into a nonprofit. And at the time I was like, yeah, sure. Like we might as well transition this into a nonprofit. And I kind of had this perspective of it's a worthwhile thing to be doing. I don't know where it's going to go in the future or if it'll even be successful or exist in a year or two years. Now we're six years into it and it's still going strong and has changed in a lot of ways from what I originally had anticipated or imagined. But it's really, yeah, it's, it's so interesting and exciting that such a, a small happenstance in my life. Oh, I guess the very beginning of that story is that I met astronaut Luca when I was 13 years old by randomly bumping into him in an airport security line. And that was really the snowball that started all of, all of this now. 10 years wow. later, the bars generation exists. Chance all of this encounter. stuff is... Yeah, so anyone who ever says that TSA is useless, I, I'm actually <laughs> TSA's biggest fan because without them... <laughs> I, I love it. That. That's a worthy of yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Right. So what what is the you said it's changed a bit. What are what's the mission or what's the goal or what's what are you doing these days? What has it morphed into? Yeah, so the Mars generation has really morphed into at the beginning, um, we were just trying to do our best in time to create whatever we were able to put out into the world. Um, at the time, one of the things that was really important to us was giving back in ways that I had also received from my community. So for instance, having grown up, like I said, with a mom who was raising two kids alone on a, a public school teacher's salary, we weren't always uh, at the most like privileged point as far as financials go. And so for me, one of the things that when I was a kid, I was really lucky to have been supported by all of these different community endeavors that allowed me to have engaging opportunities. And one of the most exciting of those for me was getting to go to space camp when I was a teenager. Um, it was way too expensive for my family. And I actually came to my mom one day when I was, I think I was 12 or 13 years old and I showed her the brochure for it. And she looks at me and I just remember how sad her eyes were when oh, I showed her this brochure because she looks at me and she goes, Abby, I'd already heard about that like three or four years ago. Someone had told me you should send Abby to space camp. And my mom looked into it and said, absolutely can't do that. that it is cheap. way too expensive. Yeah. yeah. But I ended up getting really lucky and fortunate in that there was a nonprofit that was able to help me both fundraise and then offer a partial scholarship so I could go to camp. Now, when I started the Mars Generation, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be so incredible if we could give away even one scholarship to Space Camp? Just Absolutely. one. Yeah. And now, 10 years after I received a scholarship to Space Camp, we've given away more than 50 scholarships for students without financial resources, full paid scholarships, including transportation, including, um, you know, we, we give them spending money and a flight suit and all this stuff so that they don't have to feel different from any of the other kids. Like, it's not like we're sending kids there who know their scholarship kids. We're trying to make this an experience where they can forget about all this other stuff in life 
and just focus on having this experience with their peers who are maybe for the first time in their life interested in the same thing that these kids are interested in. Um, So that's kind of a way that the Mars generation has changed is that it's really grown over the years. We're now looking at expanding to not just offer space camp scholarships, but to also offer things like flight scholarships, to offer parabolic flights that students can experience microgravity, to offer, you know, just all of these different experiences that would take kind of our scholarship program to the next level to continue to provide these opportunities. I mean, that's just about the coolest thing I've ever heard. That is you know and i've said it's such a fun like roundabout story isn't it a lot of times when you hear these things they don't always have a nice i have a three-year-old daughter can i officially put her on the wait list now i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm sure you probably have a 20 year you know you have 15 year wait list i'm just gonna throw her your way up no that's that is so incredible and i think when it comes to finding a mission or one's purpose in life there has to be a reason, right? And in sales, they talk about a sales technique of the heaven if you do and the hell if you don't. When I'm trying to sell you something, I talk about the heaven if you buy my product and the hell if you don't. What do you think is the heaven if we do regarding young women getting into STEM? And what do you think is the hell if we don't? I really think it it becomes kind of a no-brainer about this one that there just is simply no way to positively benefit science more than having diverse access and representation within science. It's kind of crazy to think that we could get the best positive result from something as important as science and, and STEM, so engineering, math, technology, all of those, if we're removing half of the population from having opportunity and access. It just it really is one of those things that you look at and you have to imagine if we want to have the best scientists, then we need to have opportunity for people who have been previously disadvantaged or unprivileged to access science and to access, you know, not just um, not just the actual process of getting a degree and then becoming a scientist and getting a job and all these things, but early on, we have to look at that and say, how is it that we can get more women and girls interested in these fields? How is it that we can then make them feel supported and make them feel like these areas that have historically been really difficult for women and that oftentimes are still filled with a lot of difficulties? How is it that we can change that narrative in order to get more girls and women into it? And I think the hell if we don't is that we're looking at a very difficult future ahead of us where we don't have the necessary populations to deal with the issues that we're facing. I think that when we think about the future, especially for my generation and the next generation, we should be worried and we should be anxious and we should actually be really scared also. And I'm a pretty positive person. You might've noticed by now that I'm, I'm a glass half full optimist. So when I'm sitting here telling you, we need to be afraid that's because we really do. And one of the reasons that I'm not just giving up and throwing the towel in and saying like, Oh, well, That's it for us then is because I think that we still have the ability to turn this thing around. We have the ability, every problem that we are facing in the next couple of decades, we can handle and we can manage. But the only way that we can do that is if everyone is involved and everyone has access and opportunity. So it's a pretty distinct hell if you don't, heaven if you do type of situation. Yes. And you just described exactly why I created this show, because it's so easy as smart people to become cynical and to just give up. Like you said, it's easy to just say, OK, it's not, not we're screwed. Um, but it's harder and more noble, at least more noble, if nothing else, to say, OK, what how do we solve it or who is solving this or what might it take or what might it look like? And to your point, something that I noticed um, 
I was always a fan of the book of 2001 A Space Odyssey, but recently I rewatched the movie, still visually stunning, but... Not too long ago, what struck me is you have astronauts, the main character, and he blasts off into a sort of space station. I don't know how familiar you are with that movie or if you've ever seen it. Blasts off into a sort of space station, this thing in space, and he gets there. And what's waiting for him in the space station as soon as he arrives? Two female secretaries sitting at a desk in the space station. It's like their sole job is just to wait around in the space station for a man to come and then say, would you like whiskey, sir? You know? And that's what we came from. And I was like, dear God, this is terrible. This is absolutely horrible. So, you know, yes, historically, there hasn't been any inclusion yet. Watch that scene. It'll, it really... I've seen, I know, I'm I'm so glad that you were bringing it up because I've seen Space Odyssey and it's such a sad, like that that is our history and that at the time when that was being created, that wasn't even considered to be problematic. Like that was just how it was. That's just the way that it would was be. women's place in STEM and especially of course in there'll space. be a secretary, yeah. Of course there'll be a secretary. Of course they don't have a job on their own unless they're right. supporting a male, you know, that kinds of stuff. And it's it's really sad to me to say that in some ways, in some ways that hasn't, you know, in some ways we've we've made a lot of progress and we've changed how we talk about things, how we look at them, what what we think is possible for women. But there's still a lot of holdovers where women and other minorities face a lot of those same difficulties still today. And you wouldn't think that that would be true. But for instance, when I first I um, true, decided yeah. to become, yeah, it, like cynically we can look at it and say, yeah, it still happens. But like a great example of it is when I first started learning how to fly airplanes. I had decided, you know, I'd set my heart, I'm going to become a pilot. Uh, It's going to help me become an astronaut, all of these things. I go into the flight school for my very first flight, and I'm talking with this grizzled old pilot. It was very, like, stereotypical when you think about a pilot who was exactly, like, you know, some 60-year-old guy wearing aviators and a bomber jacket and whatever. And um, We're chatting before the flight, me and the instructor, and he asks me why I want to become a pilot. Because it's a pretty big commitment to make. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. It's it's also a risky thing to do. And so he says, why do you want to become a pilot? I tell him my story about wanting to be an astronaut. And without even a moment's pause, he looks at me. And the very first thing that he says is, oh, well, then you shouldn't bother trying to become a pilot. Because in a couple of years, you'll have babies and settle down with the family and you won't want to go to space or fly airplanes anymore so you shouldn't even bother yeah and i was sitting there just like stunned right how how awful is that but the part about it that was really like that's real bad in my opinion that was so bad was that he didn't say these things with like malicious intent it's not like he was trying to ruin my life or my career or be a bad person or anything he did it he said them because he was honestly he honestly thought that he was helping me or that he was saving me from a really bad path that I was walking down. But it's just a reminder that girls and women still face so much, um, so much of a higher bar that you have to meet. And they also constantly face people doubting their abilities to achieve or to excel in these typically male dominated fields. So it's a bummer of a story, right? I'm very, no, (laughs) but I'm very sorry that you've had to experience that. It makes what you've been doing all the more courageous and brave. And that's so awesome. But I'm very sorry that that continues to be. Sucks that it still exists. Yeah, but obviously it does. I mean, we know that anybody with half a brain. And I, I think that one of the things when you've got a mission, so like you said, we should be scared and you're an optimistic person. I think 
what I've noticed in the general population seems to be that there's kind of two camps. Uh, there's a certain type of person out there that likes positivity and they like optimism. And in that, in their mind, that means that I don't think about problems. I don't talk about problems. I don't acknowledge them. And if you say, hey, we got a problem, those kind of people will label you as a downer or depressing. And they just change the channel to sports or Wheel of Fortune or just some games, something right. light and fluffy. Let's watch a family play games. Let's not engage with these things. Um, I've always felt that it takes a special kind of person because I don't think that you have to be uh, depressed to acknowledge the truth of a situation. It takes a special kind of person to say, yes, we do have problems. Let's not pretend that we don't. Let's acknowledge that, but let's go forward and let's think about so solving it. Uh, how do you face the people who might think, oh, it's a downer or like, oh, can't you just talk about positive things? Because it's not nice to talk about women or inclusion or all of these things. How do, how do you handle that in your own mind or in your own work? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question because it's part of the reality of things is that not only is that a situation that happens a lot, but it happens to me a lot because you might have noticed by now that I'm the kind of person who comes into something and if I have something that I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about it. Like if I want to talk about women in STEM or equal access and representation, like you better believe that I'm, I'm not going to, you know, spare anyone because it's uncomfortable to talk about. So I've definitely had that situation happen where I've had people who have, um, I guess, kind of gotten upset because I'm, I'm taking their worldview and I'm making them think about things that are different or that are difficult. People um, are uncomfortable. People get uncomfortable and a lot of times people don't like to be uncomfortable, especially if they've kind of boxed themselves off from all of the difficulties that we're facing. Right. Uh, the way that I handle that is by not taking, I do my best to not take anything personally, um, unless it comes from my close personal circle of family and friends and, and such. Um, anything outside of that is really not my problem anymore. And something that I look at and say, if you don't like the, you know, if it's the content I'm producing or the, um, you know, what I'm saying or any of these things that you don't like, you have the option then to not be in my orbit. True. You can remove yourself from, from that. And that's not really my problem if, if you're um, not enjoying. And for the record, everybody in my case has, has taken that option. They're like, and I won't. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Unsubscribe. And I won't. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, you've done better no, at I don't that. Believe so that. Clearly your method is uh, far more effective. But, you know, it's like those those insidious jokes and things that hold over. like, how do you know a vegan? Oh, like, don't worry. They'll tell you. They'll like, tell all you. These, right. <laughs> uh, you know, like all that stuff. It's like we, we, we trivialize people who are making sacrifices and people doing a noble thing. Like, we just push them aside instead of asking, like, hey, why is this person doing that? Why are they making right. a sacrifice? Because oftentimes... They are making a sacrifice for a greater good or for a mission. You say, I believe in something, so I choose to dedicate my time. To do this difficult Surely, thing. Surely, yeah. yeah, it would have been far easier for you not to do any of the stuff you've done. You could have just not done any of it. And then, you'd, <laughs> you know, just sit in the backyard, sip some iced tea. That would be easier. Right, just have a and good then, time and take it and easy. And then you wouldn't have the moment. <laughs> then the old guy would leave you alone. You could say, oh, got four more years to baby making. <laughs> Just going to kick back. 
till my family yeah, arrives. Yeah, I'm just going to wait for that because right. that's my main purpose, right? Just like the secretaries in the 2000s. Exactly. That your main purpose is just to wait for the man to do the their thing. The main thing that I've got going on. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it always comes down to having a very strong sense of philosophy. I think one must have a very strong sense of philosophy to have a reason to go for it. And I'm sure that to be an astronaut in any capacity requires an incredible, unshakable internal compass and philosophy. Has philosophy been something that you've actively pursued or do you think it's just something that came naturally to you? I would say that um, I think, so first off, I want to say that I think that you're completely right, that you really do need this strong sense of, of, um, internal drive and this personal philosophy to achieve any big dream, which I'm sure that you're very familiar with by now, having talked to so many people for the often path who are, who are essentially taking the path less traveled. And um, so you've got it completely right. Like that is hundred percent required. Um, for me personally, I have had a little bit of both camps. I've, I've done a little bit of chasing after it on my own, but mostly and this is one of those instances where I will look at that and just say, I was super fortunate to be raised by someone who also had a really go-getter spirit. Like my mom is such an incredible lady. And I had so many other incredible role models in my life also when I was growing up that I was able to just kind of like drink in some of this personal philosophy that's now helped, um, helped me. But in other ways, I think uh, I've also always been open to learning about myself and about humanity and to um, try to not take it personally when I learn something that I don't like as well, which I think helps them to have um, just a continual growth. Because even if, even if at age 10, you have the perfect philosophy somehow, by the time you're 50 years old, you're going to be outdated. You're not going to be current with what we expect as a society. When, when we form a community, we're all signing on to care for one another and to care about one another. And the way that that looks and happens changes over time. And so I've always been a really big believer in this idea that personal growth is the most important thing that we can be committing ourselves to throughout our lives and that everything else comes as a result of committing yourself to personal growth. That's so well said. I completely agree with with all of that. Thanks. And uh, speaking of personal growth, what other than grad school are you looking forward to on the horizon these days, by the way? <coughs> Harvard. <coughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's so funny what? you should mention Harvard because I actually just, um, just spent a year working as a research scientist at Harvard Medical School. Yeah, that's what I mean. Not enough extracurriculars, I'm telling you. I know. Everything They're I say, looking it's just like, that's diversity. so unimpressive. <laughs> They're looking for diversity. There's just, you don't just have not it. Meeting the, so sorry. Not ticking those boxes, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, so, but grad school is my, such a lowly goal compared to the rest of your ambitions. <laughs> such an right? achievable goal. But <laughs> yeah, like, difficult. I know it's it's hard when you're 24 years old to say, but if you had, and I don't believe in five-year plans, but, you know, the next couple of years, if everything goes well or... What would you like the next bits of your life to contain? Yeah, so I um, I have always had a, when I was younger, I, I put together like a 30-year plan and I continually revise that and I'm constantly making changes. And one of the things that I've had to learn about putting together plans and expectations is that if you follow them rigidly, you will fail. You 
even if you achieve your goal at that point, you will have failed in the long run because you're not living life. And so that's what I've learned is that you can have a plan. It's important to have a plan, to have goals and to have intermediary steps before your big goal as well. But you have to then look at that with a sense of fluidity and the ability to adapt and to change. And um, so all of that said, my next couple of years do include uh, a couple of various exciting steps other than grad school, which is already pretty exciting. Um, in the short term, I am planning, uh, I'm working towards my EMT certification right now. Uh, I'm also doing my IR rating for um, flight. Um, I have a couple of other exciting things coming up in the near future that I can't talk about yet, but we'll be talking about soon. Um, a little bit longer term than that, I'm planning to continue to fly as much as I can. I'm hoping to get multi-engine ratings so that I can fly jet aircraft. I'm also hoping to get a helicopter license. Um, I'm planning to become a scientific diver. Uh, I'm planning to do some mountaineering in extreme environments in order to get more experience with that. I'm also hoping to continue to gain further medical experience. So for instance, doing a wilderness medical um, course or, or things like that, just to try and prepare for really any eventuality that you might run into in space. Um, so those are some of my short-term plans over the next two or three years. Well, that uh, that is truly spectacular. In the <laughs> words of Wayne's World, an old reference, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. That is so oh. cool. So much exciting stuff. And, you know, again, like as we approach the end here, I, I, I can't thank you enough for sitting down and, and sharing your remarkable story. There's so much in there that anybody thank can you. latch on to. And it's really incredible. And, uh, you know, you have one more person in your corner supporting what you're doing. That's for mm -hmm. sure. Quick question. If you land on Mars by that time, do you reckon we'll be able to get a video feed from Mars to Earth at the time that we're able to land on Mars? Yeah, I think that we probably will by that point. The one thing to keep in mind that will be different about Mars landings versus, for instance, the, the most analogous thing that we can compare it to was when we landed on the moon. Now, Mars landings will always be a little bit different for many reasons, but one of those is that there's a time delay that we simply can't, we can't do anything about because the reason there's such a delay in, let's say you shoot a video on Mars and we're then to send it back to Earth, you would have anywhere from, depending on the position of the planets uh, in their orbits around the sun, the distance between the two planets changes, which means that any communication from Mars to Earth and vice versa, also the amount of time that takes changes. It's one of those things that I wish that we knew how to uh, alter that, but it is a fundamental law of physics in the universe that um, waves can only travel so fast, even through the vacuum of space. So when we when we land on Mars in the future, there will be anywhere from a 10 to 20 minute time delay before video or other types of communications get back to Earth. That's one of those things that when you think about it from the general public perspective, it's like, oh yeah, that's a bummer that we can't watch real time what's going on on Mars. But then when you think about it from a scientific perspective, it's it's more than just a bummer. It's a pretty big challenge and a pretty big difficulty that makes those missions quite different is that when you send humans to Mars, they have to be completely independent and completely capable. Um, they have to not only bring all the physical items that they need with them, but they also have to bring all of the knowledge and information that they could possibly need with them. Because when you're on the moon, if someone starts to have you know, uh, heart palpitations or they're experiencing a blood clot or all of these different things that can happen, 
what you do is you call up NASA and you say, hey, can you connect us to the flight surgeon who's one of the top medical people in the world? And then they are the ones who give you instructions about what to do in that situation. It's the exact same thing if you run into a mechanical failure that the astronauts aren't trained to deal with. If you run into you know, any of these situations that can happen when we're on, the, on Mars, that's going to be really different because you don't just have that easy access line where you can connect with all of the collective um, wisdom of humanity, it's going to have to be that the astronauts who are on Mars are capable of dealing with any situation that could happen when it happens. So cool. Well, I ask for selfish reasons because when you land on Mars, again, I'm trying to get in ahead of the curve here. I want to, <laughs> can we have a verbal legally binding contract that I can be the first interview? <laughs> can, can I claim the first interview rights? <laughs> I, I want to do the first yes to that, podcast. The I, I just, is, that'd be so you know, amazing. How many like, people I've already said yes I, to that I, 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 just I have like a, hold, no, I'm kidding. My <laughs> God. But if, if at all but possible, hopefully like, by hey, that time as I well, hopefully by that time as well, when I Mars land on interview. Mars, your daughter will be all grown up and she'll That's be able true. to join Maybe she'll be the one supporting you. Maybe, maybe side by side you'll... <laughs> That's true. And maybe she'll be the one supporting you in your mission and maybe she'll be the one reporting for six months and... You never know, but I, I mean, I know something like that, that would happen. make me extremely proud. And that would be a, a, a genuine honor if that were the case. Um, but, you know, we've reached the end of our time here. And again, I can't thank you enough. I mean, my mind is just blown. I, I couldn't support what you're doing anymore. Keep on going. Keep on rocking it. Thank you. I think it's absolutely awesome. I think you're going to do nothing but amazing things in your life uh, from here on out. And I'm just very so humbled much. that you sat with me at all. So thank you. <laughs> Truly. Well, thank you for inviting me to be a part. I really love everything about uh, what you're doing. I think that it is um, absolutely helping to bring some of these ideas uh, more to the forefront and give people opportunities to, to really mull over and think on some of these. And it's really been a pleasure to get to come and share the things that I'm so passionate about with you and with your audience as well. Well, the, the pleasure is all mine. And I want to give you the final word here. So Please, anywhere that you want people to follow you or support your work, you can close this show down. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to plug. Um, <laughs> so for anyone who's interested in staying up to date with my journey to space, um, I am all over social media as Astronaut Abby. So you can definitely find me there, and I hope that you'll join my community. Uh, you can also find my nonprofit, The Mars Generation, again, on social media as The Mars Generation or at our website, themarsgeneration.org. And one more thing that I'd love to mention is that I recently wrote and published a book with Penguin Random House, and <laughs> which is definitely one of those things that um, not something I ever expected or imagined myself doing, but it is one of those opportunities that has been kind of off the beaten path that I've gotten to take part in. Um, it's a really, I, I'm biased, but I think it's a really cool book. Uh, and one of the cool things about this book is that every copy that is sold, the proceeds that I as the author make actually get donated directly to Mars Generation to support our work with young people in STEM. So if you're interested, you can find this at local indie bookshops. You can find it on Amazon, you can any, anywhere that books are sold. Um, everyone should definitely pick up a copy. My, my publisher is going to be very happy with me for that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you heard it here. Buy the book, people. Buy the book. It's for a good cause. And I'm for sure it's cause. awesome. Well, again, I can't thank you enough. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over.